Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. This is the Living It Up podcast where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we will discuss the memorial and Rose Zhang winning her professional debut. Also, Phil Mickelson being quite chippy on Twitter. And we also look ahead to golf's longest day, U.S. Open qualifying tomorrow. But first, this episode is brought to you by Zero Restriction, the leader in performance golf apparel. Designed in partnership with PJ Tour Pros, Zero Restriction's outerwear keeps you competitive no matter the weather. Head to ZeroRestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PJ Tour winner, Billy Hurley III. Let's start with you, Billy. I've heard a bunch of the bits and pieces I heard on the bar- broadcast today about how Muirfield is set up like a major. Victor's had some close calls in, in the last two majors. So what do you make of this win at Memorial for Victor Hovland? Well, we did have another U.S. Open, it seems like. You, you know, I think somebody commented they've been playing U.S. Opens for the last two months on tour. Um, I, I suppose whoever that was didn't play Byron Nelson or Jason Day shot 43 under to win or whatever it was. But Victor's certainly playing great golf. Um, you know, he's the only guy to birdie 17 on, on Sunday and, you know, makes par in the in the playoff uh, couple of bad drives out of Denny McCarthy on, on the 72nd hole. And then in the playoff hole that, that led to him missing the green and making bogey both times. But um, I don't know, is, is, is Victor no longer just for resort courses or, or is Muirfield village a, a resort course? You know, I, I don't think Muirfield is a, is a resort course. So obviously Victor kind of graduating into what we always knew he was is a, is a world-class player with, with now a world-class win at Jack's place at the Memorial. And I think, you know, looking at the form that Victor's bringing into the U S open, he's, he's gotta be on the short list to, to think that he'd be a guy, a betting favorite, uh, you, you know, kind of coming in as, as one of the, one of the favorites for the U S open in a couple of weeks, but I think the the story at Memorial may be more about the the high scores that were shot versus the, the 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 winner in a sense. You know, I mean, you had multiple eighty fours. I think you had somebody barely break ninety in the in in the first round or so. And you know, Muirfield is just that tough of a golf course where where if you're off, it's just eats you alive. So as as bad as some of those scores look on paper, I, I assure you, they are not that bad. Um, I think I shot 81 there my rookie year. And then um, I remember the one of the last times I played there, I played a brilliant Sunday, shot four under. I think I bogeyed the last kind of same way Denny did in, in the playoff, short of the short of the green and then don't don't get it up and down. But I shot 68 and finished tied for 36. Played as good as I could possibly play. And that's when I realized maybe this golf course is just not for me. We'll, we'll we'll take this week off going going forward. But it is a it is a real golf course. It is a big boy golf course, and and the scores certainly show that. You, you know, um, all you can say is is hat tip to Victor, and uh, boy, it feels like Denny McCarthy's got to win soon as well. Yeah, I I think we've seen Victor coming at least this season um, coming for a while. I think he's had a really good start to the season. He's been lurking on, on leaderboards, even if he hasn't closed uh, his big knock was that he can only win, you know, at resort courses 
basically, I think, outside the U.S. Either well, Puerto Rico. Correct. Now this is his first win in you know in the U.S. so to speak. Yeah, I mean in a state. I guess Puerto Rico is a territory, right? Yeah, and he, uh, but I mean, like his his play, kind of except for getting, kind of boned, um, at at the PGA. I mean, he he was there and played big courses, played it well, played smart, just in control. Um, so, I mean, I think the, now of course the fun overreaction is, is he, is he ready to break through? Is he ready to break through at the U S open? Is he, is he going to win at the, um, at the British, you know, we're going to, everyone's going to overreact and I'm not going to lie. I did try to see if there were some top 10 futures I could bet on the U S open. Um, you can just bet winners from at least the, uh, the site I use. So, couldn't couldn't get an early overreaction top ten for for Hovland at the U.S. Open. Yeah, I think it's an interesting week to consider. You know, five years ago, the big three, uh, you know, up and comers were unveiled: Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, and Matt Wolf. And of course, Matt Wolf and Colin Morikawa jumped off to victories in the sort of late summer, early fall of of their first seasons, breaking through. Victor Hovland was able to break through a couple of years later and, and certainly has proved himself now to be, you know, one might say like, and I'll, I'll pose it to you guys. Like if you were going to take anyone's career going forward amongst those, those three, who would you take? And, I, and I'll capture that by saying Colin Morikawa, just a few shots off the lead had to withdraw from back spasms. And what we heard this week from Matt Wolf is he may have gotten kicked off of uh, team smash by Brooks Kepka. So uh, I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Billy. Who, who's, whose career are you taking from here on out? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast. With Morikawa's back, you have to take Hovland, you know, having the information that you have today, because you don't know what that what that means going forward. I, I'll go back and say that I took Hovland when everybody else was taking Wolf. Um, and you can corroborate that with my brother. I'm not just making that up in arrears. Like, we, we both looked at it and said, the world has this wrong. They're picking the wrong guy. Hovland's actually the guy. And, and, you know, here's, here's, here's the, the funny thing, George, if Hovland doesn't um, displace Cantley as fourth, then I think Cantley really is fourth in the OWGR permanently. Okay. If, if this victory does not somehow make Hovland get above Cantley from fifth to fourth, then it can't be done. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know how the math works there. I mean, Cantley, he was, he was lurking and then he kind of faded uh, over the weekend, but going back to that, I know, and it's interesting, right? Wolf has his very unique swing, but he, I mean, I think he did win the U S amateur. He came on, got a, got an early win early, I think at 3M. It was Victor Victor who won the U S amateur, but Matthew Wolf, if I remember right, won the NCAAs that year. Oh, so Victor won Victor the won the USAM at Pebble. That's right. And oh, okay. then, but, but Wolf was kind of the prodigy coming out of that class. I mean, they both played up, uh, right? They both played together at Oklahoma State. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, and then and then and then uh, Wolf won the three M. You know, shortly thereafter. But yeah. Okay, so I mean, 
And it, uh, it's interesting because everyone's excited about Wolf. Obviously, he gets the first PGA win. Um, like what for you, Billy, when you say everyone's got this wrong, what was it about Hovland and his game or ball striking, whatever you saw that was like, uh, I'll take that horse. It really just looked like a swing that had enough quirkiness, but not crazy quirky. Wolf is kind of crazy quirky to an extent although i recognize how the lines are very good coming down um hovland just had a little bit of the it just it just looked like he really knew how to flush it to me and i had never played with him you know um coming into you know just just seeing shots you know on on tv just seeing shots you know at at us amateurs you know that that kind of stuff it was it was more it just looked like a it looked like a, a swing and a build that lasted a long time that's kind of I think to me, what, what I saw was just a, that, that yeah, that kind of just made me say, no, 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 everybody's got this wrong. Hovland, Hovland's the guy to get on the back of. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I ever saw longevity in Wolf. Um, I mean, he kind of came on strong and you're like, Oh, maybe this, this kid, you know, just knows how to score, go low and this is going to be great. But for me, and it was, you know, Morikawa got, did he win the PGA or the the Open first? It was the PGA. Um, COVID PGA at, at uh, Harding Park. Yeah, and and he looked, and I guess in a way, maybe it's telling and not the best way, is like he kind of struck me as when we all saw like Mike Martin Keimer for the first time, and you're like, this swing goes is perfect. Like he just everything was super under control. Um, everyone was making this big deal. He did some videos where he's hitting six irons and basically he hit five or six, six irons in like a five foot circle. Something just stupid where you're like, Oh, this is, this is a little different. Um, and so I, I had always thought Morikawa had it now, granted we've seen, you know, the putting has been always a little suspect with him. And then, you know, his kind of, I guess collapse is a tough word to use when you just get run down by John Rahm, but uh, at Kapalua, he, he had a healthy lead and, and kind of couldn't close it. And he definitely gave shots back. He didn't necessarily get run down. He, he opened the door pretty wide and I'm like, interesting. I don't know if that's mental. I don't know what, what's going on there. Um, but you know, Hovland seems like a great guy and uh, on a tour that's got to be looking for personalities right now to to market and put out up front, uh, he seems to check a lot of boxes that will be good for golf. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some interesting tidbits on on Matthew Wolf as we were looking this up because I think this will actually segue us into our next topic. You know, Matthew Wolf won the 2019 NCAA Individual Championship, and then just about a month and a half later won the 3M championship. And we're going to talk about that because Rojang did that in, in a mere two weeks, picked off the NCAA individual crown and then won her, actually her debut uh, event as a pro. A couple other tidbits about Matt Wolf, because it is an interesting, you could call it like fall from grace. Like think about where we were in that 2020 COVID year. He finishes in a tie for fourth at the PGA championship, you know, to Colin Morikawa winning that one. Then just a few months later is in the lead heading into the final round of the U.S. Open and ended up finishing second there to Bryson DeChambeau. Um, so it is like an uh, I say that all as a way of just saying, like, it's it's so fickle, this game. And like we tend to ascribe so much to 
runs, we tend to ascribe so much to talent. We tend to ascribe so much to like, oh, this person won two events in a one month span. That must mean they're going to win, you know, five more. And it's so fickle. Like these things can come and go so, so freaking quickly. No question about that. I, I mean, and that's what makes some of these other records incredible, right? If you just look back at Byron Nelson winning 11, right? Um, and then and then obviously you take it to present day, you know, Tiger and, and Phil and, you, you know, these guys just have had these long, long careers. And you think about 82 wins and 15,000 straight cuts or whatever Tiger made. And, you, you know, I mean just it's that type of stuff is just just incredible and and that's i think that we can probably get to this too with with rose Zhang, but like we 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 are looking for that next superstar all the time and and just tiger woods was it and there won't be another one so we just need to enjoy i think the golf that we're given from these guys for the four or five year period that they, you know, are on top of the world kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's a really fair, fair statement. There's no question that, you know, Tiger Woods is not walking through that door. Um, and, and I, I'm not sure that even with all of the media and thing that goes around amateurs and the college kids these days, um, at least on the men's side, I don't think that I've seen anyone that has the game, the charisma, all the things that are needed to, to be a Tiger Woods. Um, and that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing for the men's game because it's obviously at a very interesting time um, with competing, competing tours and all these other things. And, you know, the PGA tour or, the last 20, I'll say 22 years, basically um, had the single greatest thing that ever happened to it in the form of Tiger Woods happening in the social media age and everything else. When all these things get amplified 10 X what they ever used to get amplified. And I think they're, they need to figure out how to navigate that going forward. And um, they're certainly going to be looking for any superstar to Victor's credit. He's got a, a thousand watt smile uh he seems to be like a really great guy and affable and you know if we could catch a run from him right now that that's going to be a very very positive thing for the pga so in the non-positive category george what happened to your boy rory as as someone who is hypercritical of rory sometimes i continue to say it like kind of that almost like frustrated parent I, rory is and i i still don't believe that I'm wrong. He is the most talented player on the PGA tour. And I don't think it's terribly close. Um, Rom Rom's probably close. Um, but Rory, I think Rory's next gear, last gear, whatever you want to call it is. I don't know that I've seen anyone else out there have it. Um, Rom kind of displayed it actually. Was it two years ago when he was leading the Memorial by like five or six and they came to him on the 18th. And we're like, hey, man, you've got Coco. You have to go home and die. And he had to leave and not finish the tournament. That he was just boat racing everybody. Um, so I I don't I, – I think Roy's just a head case. Like, it, it's sad. It really, 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 really is sad because 
it would be awesome to have him and you know rom and even with the live stuff brooks you know just clashing and having these great majors and like epic things and he just for whatever reason can't get there anymore um you know when he broke through and was winning majors like we thought he would win 40 of them when he came through in 2000 was 11 to 14 i mean two of his majors he won by eight strokes or something crazy so this dude knows how to blow the doors off a field and or he did and somehow that's gone and and that like that stinks because i i mean we give roy grief he kind of runs his mouth and says things that don't always add up or he he says something one week and then the next week he kind of almost equivocates it and i won't say walks it back but says almost the exact opposite so um you hate to see him fading but man i i do i want to see at the u.s open i don't like i would be absolutely locked in on sunday from the first tee on if you know him and brooks are are sitting there you know, locked in and just going birdie for birdie or whatever it's going to be down the stretch. I'm with you, George. And I dropped this on Twitter earlier this week. And and I, I stand by this comment. I really think that, you know, where I get critical of Rory is just that he just says too much and just says like more than we need him to say. And I really believe he needs to go to like the Bill Belichick school of, of PR and Tiger Woods clearly went to this school of PR where when you asked him a question that was hypothetical or crazy, he would just be like, yeah, I'm here to win a golf tournament. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what you mean. I'm, I'm, I'm here to win. And he would just give you like the short, confident answers. And they weren't always the most satisfying answers. I'm sure as a member of the media, but like, he just needs to go to that place of like, I'm just going to beat you. I'm a golfer and I'm just going to beat everyone. And so my like three part plan for like, Rory becoming Rory again is like one, just like, just stop, just say less. Don't dive into the hypotheticals. Don't take the bait. Just talk about golf and also maybe let your golf speak for itself. So part one, just maybe talk less part two. Like I, I still think he's the best driver of the golf ball in the world. And his wedges are a mystery to me, a complete mystery. I watched one hole this week. It was either Thursday or Friday. And he picks apart one of these dog legs. It's a 465 yard hole. And he of course takes it over the bunker and it's a 320 yard carry. And he carries it with five yards to spare. And he's got a flip wedge in and he dumps it right in the bunker and then doesn't get up and down. And it was just like Rory's career of the last few years in my mind in a microcosm, like that one hole, like pure dominance, pure elegance, a most amazing driver of the golf ball ever and just cannot hit wedges. So that's part two of my, my plan. And the last part is just get a caddy that is going to get in your face and be like, dude, you're Rory McIlroy, like become Rory McIlroy. Cause I just think he has a friend on the bag. That's like happy to let him be friendly. Well, you point to your point. Number two points to the fact that the driver swing and the wedge swing are different things. I agree. And, and I think he needs and like totally different techniques. Totally. I mean, that's, so that's exactly what's in my head right now. I mean, he should just put all his weight on his left side. Yes. Just have, punch have it. No, just hit these no, little punchy flighted yeah. something yeah. or others. Just, just have no like kind of weight transfer, stay on the left side, hit him a little low, trap him, try and cut him because drawing a wedge is, you know, I mean, can be good if you can, if you can hit the, you know, six yard or six inch draw kind of look. 
Yep. But um, you know, the, the there's a reason that the driver swing doesn't work on the wedge swing, right? Yeah. The, I mean, just for for those and, of and this you is where who, I go to like I actually think I actually think a really great caddy would be like, hey, Rory, today we're hitting all trappy, like punch, flighted shots inside of 130 yards you game let's do it i'm going to prove to you that you can do this and you're going to like light this course up yeah yeah I, it'd be it'd be really it'd be really interesting i mean yeah he, he, you have to somewhat assume that he doesn't agree with us because you would think that you know shooting lower scores is is, is the goal so you would you know you would go do it this way if you thought it would produce a better result and obviously he's hit a million great wedges in his life but but on on the whole for how good he is at other things he, he's not that good inside 100 yards and i'd add putting to that really overall you know it's he's not he's not a bad putter but he's not a great putter um and so i don't know how much you can do with that some of that stuff is is a bit innate and and, and you kind of are where you are sometimes with putting or you can make you know little little changes but but going from good to great in in putting is seems like maybe that's not where his biggest gains would would be made but um he does drive it just absolutely tremendously oh it's like poetry watching him drive a golf ball but uh, let's transition to rose zhang uh, i wanted to go down just a few quick hits on her very very short career thus far but very prolific career thus far uh she just turned 20 about a less than a month ago uh, for the record, when you say short career, Brian, you mean like the one week professional career she's now had for four days? Well, well, is let that, me go through. Let going, me go going, through this. Okay, it, it's not that short if you think about this. Tough crowd she, from Brian. She she's twenty years old. She won the twenty twenty women's amateur. In twenty twenty one, she also won the U.S. girls junior. She's a two time now back to back NCAA Division one women's championship winner. She won a playoff at the Augusta National Women's Amateur, and then. Turns pro at this interesting event, which is a mix of a professional event and an AJGA event, the Mizuho Americas, uh, the Mizuho Americas Open, and she wins in a, in a playoff on the second playoff hole. She's one for one. I mean, she's twenty years old. Is this too soon to just say she she's going to be the greatest golfer of all time, or, or is this too much? Am I putting too much on her shoulders? Um, well, I mean, we we have seen a golfer who came vaunted through the amateur ranks, um, an amazing collegiate career also from Stanford and went on to have a tremendous professional career. I think it's probably a little early to, to anoint. Are you talking about and, Patrick Rogers? Note of a gay or Patrick, Patrick Rogers? Rogers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, I was thinking Mav McNeely, but I guess, uh, I mean, there's just so oh, many to choose yeah. from so many to choose from. Um, but it's weird, like in, in the women's game and more so in tennis than golf, like we've seen just these like absolute comments that sprint across and they dominate for like four years. And then all of a sudden there's another comment that comes along at 20 years old and dominates for four or five years. Like, I mean, we had Lydia Ko, we've had all these tremendous, tremendous, tremendous talents. And I think it speaks to, and it's, it's something that, you know, it speaks to the depth of the LPGA that I don't think that these comments necessarily burn out per se. I just think the LPGA is getting really, really, really deep. Um, and it gets taken for granted that 
there are just a lot of super talented players. If I mean, if anyone's ever taken the time to watch some of the stuff they'll get put on YouTube or anywhere else of of these these women kind of doing skills challenges and and things like that, they absolutely stripe the ball. They are so accurate. Their swings, in fact, I, I've said it m- multiple times that if for actual just sort of you know weekend golfers and everything else in the world, if you want to get really good at golf and you want to think about like how to get better, watch the LPGA. Their courses are about the same size as your country club. They hit it basically as far as most kind of weekend guys. I mean, I think obviously they have long ones who can put it 285 or whatever, but I think most of them are probably coming in somewhere 240, 250-ish, 260 maybe. Like watch their games, how they hit long irons, how they hit. And I mean, their swings are so methodical and so amazingly smooth and they just they never over they don't try to overdo something you watch pga golf and it's who can hit their wedge 160 yards and the lpga just they don't ever seem to get wrapped up in that it's well who can hit their wedge to a foot and they just do that over and over and over again uh so i i mean i hope rosang is is the next and by all accounts she really is um, I, I would encourage anybody who's interested in her and like where she had come from. And this, the, there is a, a program out there about the Stanford women's golf program. And I encourage anyone to go watch it. It is amazing. And it's amazing if for no other reason that kind of, as we were talking about the Oklahoma state team a few years back that had, uh, Hovland, it had Wolf. I think it had Eckroat who's now on tour, when you when you look at the names that were on that Oklahoma State team, it's it's crazy to see who's playing. And you see that as good as Rosang is and has been, at least in this thing, um, Rachel Heck, who's also at Stanford, is better, or at least was about a year ago. I know she's had some injuries, but she I mean, this one tournament that they they showed, she started, I think, three over and then shot 63 just went unconscious and tore this thing apart. Um, and also has just charisma to a thousand. I mean, uh, she's, she's had like a, a weird injury thing with like where her collarbone and ribs or whatever, like it, it sounds crazy, but, um, I, I hope she is, gets herself fully healthy, ready to rock because if, if those two, right, you always need an A and a, you always need two foils, right? You, you can't just have, the the one right tiger probably is tiger but a lot of what made tiger tiger is you had phil and you had a foil and i think there there needs to be that rivalry that exists on the on the lpga to truly appreciate how great one of them is you got to have someone that's kind of that a or b or how you want to call it yeah that's a great point george you do need kind of that Somebody pushing you, I guess, is 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 another way to say it. Somebody who who's right behind you, who who wants it as well, and 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 keeps you kind of engaged and driving and working and 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 ultimately winning. So, um, you know, I will I will say that I never liked Brian to your question. How soon is too soon? I say I never liked how quickly Tiger Woods was anointed as the best golfer to ever walk the face of the earth when he was, you know, twenty one 22 years old so i'm not going to say 
that for for Rose Zhang at this point. Um, but obviously, I was wrong about Tiger to not jump on that bandwagon uh, in in 1998. So we will uh, we'll we'll see what what Rose is able to do with with her career. Yeah, and I think before we get too excited, like Tiger had the vaunted amateur career. He he came out and and I I'm not sure it was his. 97 was when he like turned pro at Milwaukee or whatever. 96. 96. And then was it the 97 masters where he just blew the doors off of it? Um, So I think before we want to just anoint Rose, she at least has to show up to what is like whatever version of the nine majors, the LPGA has um, and whatever the most hallowed, they have and she has to blow the doors off the field and i mean that's what tiger did he just showed up and played a game that no one had seen happen at augusta before um and if she she does that then i think we can just start all the overreactions and hyperbolic anointment and we just ride the wave look forward to watching it we'll see yeah, and it's interesting, George. You know, you talk about you know Tiger just sort of like changing the game. In many ways, I look at Rose as just a complete player. There's no one thing that she does that you're like, oh wow, she drives it great or hits it so accurate or chips and putts it. Well, like she just does all those things really well. And it was evident even in the few holes that I watched that like Jennifer Cupcho can hit it a lot longer than Rose Shang can. Like Rose had to come in with a hybrid for her second shot into the second playoff hole, but she hit it to like six feet. So, I mean, it's one of those things where to your point earlier point, George, that they're incredibly accurate across the bag. And I look at Rose as like no weaknesses in that game, but, but I'm with you. Like I, you know, she's got to come out and she's got to prove it. She's got to win some of these LPGA majors and she's got to do it for a number of years for her to be, you know, the, the goat of, of women's golf, but, but time will tell, we'll see. And I thought we could uh, just segue briefly into, uh, you know, while Live Golf was actually not playing inside the ropes, they've got a number of weeks off. Uh, one Phil Mickelson has been uh, flexing his Twitter fingers quite a bit this week. Just a, a, a growing sort of back and forth that never seems to end with uh, Eamon Lynch and Brandel Chambly. There's been a bunch of back and forths around like we should have an on, on-air debate. And Brandel's like, I've invited you twice. You turn me down. It, it sort of sounds like we're, we're listening to like middle schoolers that are just like bickering at this point and it it doesn't look good for anyone but at least phil is entertaining like i always say like when he decides to get chippy on twitter it's like you know time to grab your popcorn and just sit there and scroll through the replies and 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 phil for one is really really funny at just like kind of coming at replies that you think people of his stature would just let go like he would just let the the trolls and and the people just like you know, let those comments wash over him, but, but he will hear certain things and then just decide like, no, I'm going to engage with this right here. Just spend hours engaging with people. It's amazing. I can't believe he reads these replies and comments and stuff. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I I mean, you're just supposed to, at his level, you're just supposed to post and then like, you know, put it away. You're not, you're not actually supposed to engage. Like, you, you know, it's, uh, it's incredible. I do want to see the presidential style debate between Phil and 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 Brandel, though. I mean, I think that would just be content gold. I think they would both equally make themselves buffoons and land some good points. And um, I, I don't know, I don't know who 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 would who would quote win, but but I think they would both 
probably come out looking worse. It's probably a lose-lose for them each, but uh, I'm sure they'd have some some interesting points, and and there'd be some great back and forth. It'd be it'd be good content, be good theater, but but that, I think there would be some buffoonery. That that's I I am I am not a fan of all of this. Um, it is like we have I have kind of coined and talked about the petty wars and the the PGA tour doing all these things and you know kind of going at all these different versions and it's like Phil's just it's his own version of the petty wars um and it's you know there's that old adage you know the problem with wrestling with the pig is you get down in the mud and then like you find out they like it it's it's not good there's no win in in doing this um you know a lot of brandles positions have sort of unraveled on their own over time you know like you know who can forget his face at the pga championship post you know match post tournament wrap-up when brack faxon's like it's just golf man like it's america versus europe and if brooks makes it he makes it and you could just brandle's brain was like locked you could just see springs going and like you just couldn't compute like wait i'm gonna have to acknowledge that brooks is is one of us he's not some like horrible traitor that we have to send out so this would be i think billy nailed it it would be theater it would be buffoonery neither one would come out good it phil can be really really good he can be really really like witty this would not this would be and this is the best part of these two actually they both equally believe with all the irrational confidence i have standing over a three wood in the fairway from 285 that they are going to hit to within two feet and that they're the smartest guy in the room and neither one of them are like it just it and so to watch these two just go at it and i think everyone i can just think of the the scene at the end of billy madison where like we were all dumber from having heard that is would be the the conclusion would we all watch it would we all tune in a hundred percent would golf twitter once again make uncle elon three billion dollars in a day from just going bananas on it 100 percent. would it accomplish anything not a chance yeah, that to me is the toughest part because you've got guys that are so dug in that I don't think either side really wants to quote unquote debate, right? They just want to get their like sharp little zingers in there and then like mic drop and act like, you know, that was the soundbite. I, I won the day with that one versus like when you actually go into a debate, you've got to actually suspend your deeply held beliefs in order to listen and to hear the other side. And I don't think either of them are capable at this point of like, having a proper debate where they could suspend their sort of misgivings. My my favorite part would be Brandle would 100% come out either with like a stack of note cards, like a tab binder. He would have everything organized and Phil probably comes out with like a bottle of wine. Like that would be exactly what this thing is. That would be actually truly, truly great. Well, hey, let's talk a little bit about what's next. Uh, on the PGA Tour, we actually have the block party heading up to the Canadian Open uh, but first, we actually have what we call, or what has been coined, I should say, not what we call, golf's longest day with quiet final qualifying at the U.S. Open taking place at a number of sites. I was looking at the website. 
you know, they've already had a, a few events. They had the one over in England on May 16th. Then they had one in Japan and also one in Dallas on May 22nd. Then we've got 10 sites tomorrow with a number of spots up for grabs. I wanted to go to you first, Billy, because you've played in, you can tell us how many of these uh, and how many of these you've gotten through, but talk us through kind of one, like the mindset and the, you know, going into this like horse race where, you know, you've got to shoot a good number. You've got obviously very competitive fields and it, you know, it's, it's the dog days of summer as well. So you've got to figure out how to like, you know, manage yourself for 36 holes. It's a long day. There's no question. Golf's longest day is a good moniker for it. And you do have to manage that. You, you know, all the tee times are early and you play until, you know, seven plus at night, you know, depending on playoffs or or whatever. I, I don't know exactly how many of these I've, I've played, guys. Um, call it 10 or, or so, eight or 10 kind of thing. And um I've gotten through four times, you know, fortunate enough to have played, you know, four U.S. Opens by by getting through the the final qualifying, both sectional and final qualifying. Once upon a time was sectional, now final qualifying. And there's a little bit of the adage, you know, we often talk about some of the the fields, right? Like. I played mostly at at Woodmont at the Woodmont site in in Rockville, Maryland, because I just played well there, and and I got through all you know four times there. I lost in a playoff once there, and you know another time I finished like a shot out of the playoff or or, or whatever. But just a lot of success there, set up well for me for whatever reason. Read the greens well, made made a lot of putts, kind of kind of thing around Woodmont, but when you look at the fields, you know, like let's take Woodmont, there's probably 65 or 70 guys there tomorrow. And if you really think about it, you're probably only playing against 15 guys. If you're one of the top guys in the field, I I mean, there's going to be somebody you've never heard of that plays well, and maybe they play well enough to get one of the spots. Maybe they don't, maybe they're in the mix or whatever, but for for the most part, you've got a handful of guys who, who made it through local qualifying um and really don't have a chance at, at making it through you, you know these are truly professional events like they're a level they're probably like on a corn fairy level of the event right that that's that's how i would think about them they're they are above a mini tour event they're not a pga tour event they're you, you know they're a mix of obviously pga tour players corn for corn fairy tour players mini tour players club pros, amateurs, et cetera. But um, from, from a, from a, from a top to bottom talent, you know, you probably add it up and it'd be a corn fairy event, but, but there's also at the same time, not that many great players at each one um, because most of the truly great players are not playing tomorrow, right? They, they have already qualified for the U S open via, you know, their qualifying criterion and exemptions categories, but it's um you know you, you Brian you talked about you know you, you need to put the pedal down and and, and I actually kind of think that's actually wrong you, you know there's some sites where you do because it's you know 12 or 15 under seems to get in and and whatever but one of the things I liked about Woodmont is if you shot a couple under par you're kind of going to be around it so it wasn't so much pedal down it was like pedal smart 
you, and and just kind of you know you you have birdie holes that are there and you, you need to take advantage of some of you know the par fives and that kind of thing but then there's a whole bunch of holes and this is not unlike any other golf course on earth there's a whole bunch of holes where you're just trying to make par and and par is a good score and you know you're just trying to plod your way around and and not make a double and just kind of you know hit it in the right places make easy pars don't put a lot of stress on the game, you know, because it is a long day, you know, the cumulative stress of a day is hard. And, and so, you know, I've had, I've had rounds of, of these where one year I started out birdie Eagle birdie. And so I was four under through three and I sort of stood up on the fourth hole and went, how do I make 33 pars? <laughs> like that's, that's all I have to do. Right. And then another time I finished birdie, birdie, birdie par to get in on the number. So, you know, I've kind of gone from hot starts to hot finishes and everything in between to kind of, you know, a couple years of one year of kind of coasting right on through just playing great golf and kind of coasting, you know, right, right through the qualifier. But um, it's, it, it's a long day. There's no question about that. And, and you just have to, you have to both capitalize on the opportunities that you're given and you have to stay patient when you don't have those opportunities because, you know, you can go through a, a five or six hole stretch where you just feel like nothing's, you know, you, you don't have a good look at birdie, but if, but if you just play them one over, you're still there. Um, it, it's, it's when you get that tough whole five or six hole stretch and you're three, four over now you're kind of not there anymore. And so, so it's, as much as it is, you know, pedal down to, to shoot a good score, part of shooting a good score is not shooting bad scores as well. And, and I think that over the course of a 36 hole day, you mentioned the heat, the weather, you know, those are all pieces you have to manage and, and, and hitting smart shots and, and, you know, food intake, water intake, electrolyte intake, like all these things you have to think a little bit more about because it's two rounds in one day. And, and there's not often after college that you actually do that. You know, you'll, you'll do some 23 whole days on a, on a rain restart or 27, but anytime you're over 27, that's very, very rare, you know, in, in the competitive golf sphere. So getting to 36 holes is, is, is a long day and, and requires a lot of stamina, a lot of patience, a lot of great golf to, to get through and ultimately play for the national championship. And I was looking so, at the, uh, the Woodmont qualifier, since that's the one you've played in the past. You know, it is 60 players for four spots. I, I know in the past, like we've even talked about this on the pod, you can always look at qualifiers and we used to do this kind of mental trick, you know, 60 players, 30 of them, you know, you could argue like are, are not going to be competitive. You know, thank you for making it through locals. You played great for 18 holes. You don't have the game to stand up to 36 holes against the big boys. So like 30 players just get wiped off the table. And then you kind of say, you know, 15 players are really good. They deserve to be here, but they're just not in form. For whatever reason, they're fighting the driver, they're fighting the putter. So now you got 15 guys for four spots. Hey, let's go, let's go have ourselves a day. Let's make some putts. Let's stay yeah, patient. Exactly right. Let's go do it. That's that's the way to look at it. You just and, want to be one of the 15 and then have a good day. And I'm looking around too, because this one's interesting because there are 14 players from Live Golf that are going to try their hand tomorrow at, at golf's longest day. Two of them at this Woodmont qualifier. We've got Mark Leishman and also Sebastian Munoz playing. When I look across this, this this T sheet, I don't see a lot of, you know, day in, day out PGA tour players, you know, and that is to a degree, we talked about this before we hit record, 
a little bit unique. We used to have an event in the DC area. Players would stick around and, and play this event. Now that has shifted sort of the center of gravity has now shifted to Columbus, Ohio, where we're going to have a hundred players. In fact, it's actually 103 players for 11 spots up at uh, the Columbus, Ohio site. So they do, and we talked about this, like they do look at the the depth of the field, the strength of the field from a world amateur golf ranking and a, and a official world golf ranking standpoint to say, you know, how many spots am I going to give out for, for my national championship? That There are some that, you know, good luck. There's only two spots or three spots at some of these because they know they're not going to get a strong depth of field. Yeah, I think those ones that are two or three spots, you know, you said four at Oakmont or Woodmont, not Oakmont. You said four at Woodmont. Um, I said Oakmont because the Oakmont head pro is actually in the field at Woodmont. When you when you when you look through the field, Devin Gee is 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 in the field there. But um, you know, you if you go to some of the, the the Washington State qualifier, it's I think it's two spots, and but there's probably eight guys. Right. It, 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 like the math pairs down to eight guys as opposed to as opposed to we paired the math at Woodmont to, to 15. So it, it, it's kind of still that relative scale. Like you mentioned, they take in strength of field and, and depth of field and, and, and all those things. And and there's probably a case to be made that 11 too few in Springfield. Right. In Ohio. Right. Uh, I mean, that's that's where the, the bulk of the. Best players are for for this event. Um but you know, I'd, I'd be I'd, I'd be really curious to see the back end math the USGA does because you know there's a very thoughtful, detailed formula that that goes into field size and strength of field and how many spots come out of that. And, and there is always some heartbreakers, you know. And I know courses are all relative in terms of how they're set up and the conditions and the weather, et cetera. But there's always these heartbreakers where you get guys that shot like 65, 65. You know, they think they're doing great, and it's like, nope, sorry. There's only two spots and there was a couple guys that threw up some like 64s and 62s out there. Like great play and you, you don't get a shot. So Billy, you've talked about PGA tour courses when it comes to course rating and things, they don't exist. They're just tricked out. They're super hard. Um, we've all seen us opens. It's, they make it as, as hard as they humanly can without absolutely killing the course with these qualifiers, where do they slot in as far as course setup? Is, are they, are they meant to identify the champion golfer or are they, we, we got to get you guys out of here before sunset. So we can't make this like insane. Yeah. It's in between those two, George. It's, there's definitely a sense of like, you know, you, you want quality golf to, to prevail but at the same time, you're exactly right. I mean, you got 60, 50 guys, um, you got to get them around, you know, 36 holes in, you know, whatever under probably, probably right about 12 hours of daylight, you know, right now, maybe, maybe 12 and a half hours of daylight. So depending on where in the, you know, where in the country you are or, or, or you know, kind of where your uh, where the latitude is, but so it's kind of, I would say, I would say it's in between. It's, it, it's not set up like a U.S. Open. Um, it's um, not set up like a Monday qualifier, right? So it's, 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 it's in between those two. Some of the things, you know, some people get, I don't know if this is in my opinion, sometimes the, the USGA kind of, kind of thinking too much, right? But I would, I would, I would bet based on, um, the fact that 
LACC has has a has a historic like short par three, right? I think they played it at 82 yards in the Walker Cup one day. That that some of these courses might throw a short, some of the tournament setups might throw a short par three to a silly kind of pin, right? To to mimic what they might see. That's where I go. It's like, hey, this is a bridge too far. Like we don't need to play the ladies' tees to a to a funny, you know green um setup uh-huh. or whatever forward but, tees excuse forward me excuse tees. me the, the 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 ones up there i apologize for my political incorrectness there but it, like that that that's happened at the woodmont qualifier i can't remember which which year it was it was maybe the chambers bay brian does chambers bay have a shorter par three in the in the like a 140 yard par three or something like that or no it's, maybe it's not. downhill it probably plays yeah. effectively like you know 155 yeah. maybe, maybe maybe that was it because it was there was there was one year where the the open course had a short par three you know kind of a 140 150 par three and so they made you know a 140 par three out of one of these holes and i was like okay that's kind of a bridge too far for me but um it's it's in between on on both of those things that all of them are stern tests of golf but they are not um, tricked out or, you know, crazy pins and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, follow up going much the other direction in some regards. We have, we have a, a guy at our club who's played in local qualifiers. I don't know that he's actually made it to sectionals. Um, and you may not have encountered this, but his, my question was going to be, who is the worst person you've ever played with in a qualifier? Because uh, it was like two or three years ago, he showed up. And he played with a guy who shot 57 on the front nine. Which, I mean, I'm sure this person got a letter that said, you're not allowed to return, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, I've always heard these stories and they they make their way around the internet from time to time. And I, like, I think about, A, like, I get the Monday qualifiers where you just pay your 180 bucks to show up and play and they just want to shoot a million or 400 bucks. Like, guys that will whatever i i can kind of get that but the u.s open qualifiers like you're screwing over someone who's taking it really seriously like I, that's the where i'm like this is kind of janky um but and you had to lie a lot to get your index down to even get in to go do this um so the question would be what's the what's the worst playing partner you've had to deal with so it wasn't in a in a in a qualifier per se. Um, although I did play one qualifier with a guy who shot eighty nine. That was like a pre qualifier way back in the day when they changed the Monday qualifying to pre qual whatever. Um, it was uh, it was one of the very first uh, old Hooters tour events that I played right when I got out of the Navy, and um, I played with this guy. He shot forty eight on the front nine, and he made four 25 footers in the process i mean it was incredible he withdrew after nine holes thankfully and you talk about paying your 400 bucks i mean this is like 1100 bucks right to to do professional gambling on the mini tours and and he just took off after nine holes but he legitimately made a 20 footer a 25 footer a 33 footer and like 18 footer and shot 48 and it was it was it was a sight to see the now to to your to your buddy's story um my brother his club had a guy um do the sign up for the qualifier who you know was a prolifically known as as not a one 
right? He, he's not a one handicap. Although he had, you know, won some club events where you like picked your foursome to play with, right? Kind of, kind of deal. Uh, oh, oh, we um, have some of those. Yeah, I'm sure we, you. We uh, every some. club, every club has these people. But, but this particular guy signed up for the U.S. Open local, and the, and the the head pro of my brother's club felt so terrible about the whole thing. He actually called the official in charge prior to the event and was like, "Hey, if so and so." comes even close to qualifying for this it is a total sham and basically it was like you have to like watch this guy and he did the you know i think he you know did the shoot 90 and don't turn in your card and got the letter you know or or, or, or whatever kind of kind of thing is, is but it was it's it was this particular one was so bad that the the head pro of my brother's club felt compelled to actually call the usga official in charge and be like he cannot get through. He's not capable. So if it happens, you 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 need to be on the lookout. Well, this will be a fun one to watch golf's longest day. I mentioned we also have Michael Block taking another sponsor's exemption to play in the Canadian Open. Let's get you out of here on this one. Just give me a yay or nay. Is the Block Party going to rally and make the cut at the Canadian Open? I'm going to say no. Now, I might... I would almost ask... Will he finish not last? I think is the real better question because he was he was not close to not last the last time he showed up. I, I don't think he makes the cut, but I don't think he's last this time around. I think that hopefully he went back to California, got his game a little bit in order, got sober after you know having the 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 four victory parties. I'm sure he had um, you know post PGA Championship kind of thing uh you know and, and and put a little time into to working on it and and i'll say that for two reasons is is clo- the the colonial field is is way better than the rbc canadian open field um that's just a thing you can go look at you know who who the first alternate is you you can't remember who that player is i mean like i joked before we got on it's like hey i might be in the field if i signed up this this week in in canada it's 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 way down there um not different not kind of news so to speak for the canadian open because they since they've moved prior to the to the u.s open and and you'll see another three or four withdrawals you know out of um golf's longest day for for a couple guys that qualify for the u.s open will decide not to make the trip to canada subsequently with the with the trip to la coming coming up after qualifying so so i'd say based on depth of field and based on hopefully you know kind of just coming in with uh you know a little bit refreshed and and and, and less less kind of tired from the from the pga championship i say he's not dfl but he still does not make the cut yeah i think right. this is one of those ones where it's uh respectable but you know he'll he'll enjoy the uh the, the ceremony of being you know getting applauded up up north for his uh amazing pga championship run but i think it's going to be you know, some 73s, 74s, 75s, and pack your bags, head head back home. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at what his odds are to make the cut. Um, probably tomorrow morning or whenever the field gets set. And I will, for the sake of the pod, I will make a $20 wager on him to make the cut. And if he makes the cut. We will we will parlay those winnings into into something fruitful for for us. 
Ooh, uh, I like I like this. We should start making a uh, just a, just a one gamble that that rolls, then it's going to steamroll. It's going to be a you know yeah, yeah. tons of money. So it's going to be lots of commas when we're done here. Lots if, of commas. if it hits yeah. if it hits, one of you can then make the bet next week. But we will we will put twenty on the block I, party to make the cut. I appreciate George. Like this time, lots of times you say I invested. In so and so, this you actually called a wager. You you, you oh. realize it's not actually an investment in this particular uh, case. Although I did say it, I said this before she actually won the event today. I said, "Hey, you know, breaking news, new betting strategy. I'm just going to bet Rojang to top ten for the rest of like this decade at least. Um, you know, the odds on that are, are getting increasingly bad each, each week. I'm sure, but that that to me is my my sound investment strategy, Billy." Well, that sounds more like an investing. Like, I mean, you know, that's 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 more like investing. As a, while it doesn't have a uh, you know historical rate of return, it does seem to have a a pretty good uh, path forward. Well, I I enjoy uh, this next day, golf's longest day, and I uh, will look forward to recapping all of this with you guys next week. See you, boys. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.